Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fresh Take from What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Margaret. And this is Amy. And today we're talking to Beth Leipholz. She's an inclusion and accessibility advocate who believes in creating a more accepting world for our children. As the hearing mother of a deaf child, Beth is raising her son, Coop, bilingually in both hearing and deaf cultures. Beth shares her parenting journey on TikTok, YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram at Beth and Coop, where she's built a community of more than 1 million people around disability inclusion. Beth lives with her family in Minnesota, and her new children's book is the ABCs of Inclusion. Welcome, Beth. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. So Beth, your journey to being an inclusion and accessibility advocate really sort of started with your own journey to motherhood. Will you tell us about that? Yeah. So I found out I was pregnant with Cooper in January of 2019, actually like 36 hours after we got engaged, totally not planning it. So yeah, I always kind of say he was a surprise from the get-go and he's just kept the surprises coming. (laughs) So he was born in September of 2019 and did not pass his newborn hearing screening in the hospital, which is mandatory in Minnesota to do before they're released from the hospital. And so we were told just kind of, you know, it's not a big deal. It happens. It can be fluid in the ears. So, you know, being kind of that new mom phase, I was just like, you know, okay, I don't need another thing to stress about. Didn't think too much of it. Knew that I would have to bring him back eventually. And when he was born, he actually had a big swash of white hair and the rest of his hair was really dark, like mine is. And I had posted in a Facebook group I was in with other moms and I was like, has anybody had, you know, kids like this or seen this? And how has it kind of developed as they've gotten older? Like, is it a birthmark? And somebody mentioned Wardenberg syndrome in one of the comments. And I had never heard of it before. And so I started Googling, (laughs) which is the best and worst thing to do. Uh in (laughs) Always the first step and sometimes the most ill-advised step. I know. In that case, I'm glad. Yeah, because in a world where you would never have heard of Wardenberg syndrome and your pediatrician didn't mention it, somebody on Facebook did. Okay, so what did you find out? So I was, you know, reading and researching what this, you know, syndrome entailed. And whatever you hear syndrome, it's scary to an extent because there's so many unknowns. And so as I was looking, it was more out of curiosity at that point. Like it didn't occur to me that this could actually be something that Cooper had. But as I was reading the like symptoms and indicators, it was like a checklist of my baby. Like, He had that, you know, the white swash, which is a really big indicator. He had wider set eyes. And at that point, they weren't as blue as they are now, but they were blue. And that's another common part of Wardenberg syndrome. And then I got to the part about being deaf or hearing loss being a huge component. And that's when my world like kind of narrowed in. And I was just like, this is like, this is what we're dealing with, even though we didn't know yet. Like I'd been watching to see if he responded to loud noises. We have three loud dogs and he never 
even like flinched. And so at that point I knew, but obviously we didn't get his full diagnosis until he was six weeks old. Okay. So tell us about your stages of processing that news, Beth, and your spouses and what that was like. Yeah. I mean, I think I was still, you know, had just come around to the idea of being a mom. Like I was not prepared for that. Like I said, you know, he was a surprise and it was like, that was a big life change in itself. And it never occurred to me that, you know, my child would have any sort of special needs. You know, nothing came up during my pregnancy. Nothing was super abnormal. And so I think in a way, like, I'm glad that I had that person make that comment and I had time to read about Wardenberg syndrome and kind of like prepare myself because it did make the diagnosis easier in a way. But at the same time, having that like solid diagnosis and saying like, this is his level of loss because I was holding out hope that, okay, well, maybe he can hear a little bit in this year or this year, you know, maybe he's not totally deaf, like, because it was just scary to me. And so when we did get his testing done and he pretty much the level of hearing loss, he probably couldn't have even heard a jet plane taking off next to him. Like that's how profound his hearing loss was. And for the first couple of weeks, I couldn't even bring myself to say the word deaf. Like, I don't know if it just sounded so finalized to me, like like real, right? Yeah. And I didn't know any of like the beauty within that world yet. And so it was just like scary sounding. I won't say that I went through denial because I didn't. It I knew. But I think I went through the rest of the stages of grief for sure. And I still do. That's something I like to point out is like, it's not, you know, linear. It's a cyclical thing that you cycle through and it never really ends. But at the same time, you find like the silver linings in it. And that's something we've talked about with other people and talked about for ourselves, having kids with different needs, disabilities, that I think there's a lot of understanding now that people with different abilities There's fantastic gains in that, but sometimes it can be a little bit difficult as moms to kind of accept that grieving phase because it doesn't mean we wish our kids were different. It doesn't mean that what our kids are is bad, but finding the space to have some grief over the fact that this is a different journey than maybe the one we expected Tell us a little bit about that process for yourself and how you've seen that reflected as you talk about disability with other moms. I mean, I feel like I have to mention the poem, Welcome to Holland. So anybody in the kind of special needs parenting world, I think, understands that. It's about exactly that, you know, a journey that you think you're taking and ending up in a different place, but still finding all the beauty within the place that you did end up. And so I think there's you go through this like cycle of grief where you don't want to feel like you're, you know, grieving your child who's in front of you or wishing that they were different or wishing that you had a different child because that's not it. But you have to kind of go through that grief of what you thought you were going to have more so like the way you thought life was going to look to be able to, you know, pick up those pieces and do what you need to do to move on to what life actually is. And I think until you can do that, you're not going to find like those beautiful pieces in it. And I know for me, there was a lot of comparison that I struggled with where it was like, okay, well, He's just deaf. He doesn't have cancer. He doesn't like I found myself minimizing a lot what I was feeling, which in retrospect, I think is a problem in itself, too. Like just because it's not somebody else's worst case scenario, it can still be yours. And those feelings are valid. And so I think that's what I tell new moms a lot when they come to me, too, is like, just let yourself feel what you're feeling. And like, this is not what you expected. This is scary. And like, that's okay. You don't have to, you know, 
what other people are going through doesn't matter, right? Sometimes I think it can be hard because then you have to take this to not making any assumptions about your own situation, but say your kid is a tough diagnosis, then you have to take it to the grandparents who have their own reaction to this diagnosis, right? Who might start very much at stage one of denial and you're like, no, nope, it's definitely true. Nope, it's definitely profound. Nope, it's definitely happening. And and then you have to do your own work, right? So that you're then ready mm-hmm. to walk other people through it and and help other people understand that. Do you find that's part of the thing that parents of kids with special needs find difficult? Yeah, definitely. I don't want to make it sound like my husband's parents were in great denial, but they were to an extent. My parents are very much the opposite, where they're just kind of like, this is what we're dealing with. I have seen you get through hard things before. You always struggle at the beginning. You pull yourself up and that's what we're going to do here. They weren't discounting my feelings by any means. Like, you know, I sat on my parents' couch and cried for hours that day. But I think just them being so logical and knowing like they've seen me come out the other side of things and reminding me of that is what I needed at that point. Because, you know, other people in that journey do have the ability to either make it a lot harder for you or make it a lot easier for you. And so I guess, you know, we're lucky in the sense that we do have support from all sides when it comes to that. My husband's mom's sister is actually deaf too. So she did have, you know, experience with that growing up, it was very different because they were a lot like deaf people in general were a lot more isolated just because, you know, this was years ago, too. So and her sister used mainly sign language. And so it was just a very different experience and also not Wardenberg syndrome. So that's just a really weird coincidence. Wow. So it really was just completely coincidental. Mm-hmm. That's fascinating. So, yeah. So my husband's aunt, her daughter and her kids are all deaf. So that's been really cool to be able to like kind of ha- navigate deaf culture too by having them as a resource. I want to talk a little bit about deaf culture. We'll be right back and talk a little bit about what that journey has been like. Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses. First two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we say, and making diaper changes a breeze. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. So we agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used Hero Bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber while 
still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. <laughs> but all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs, and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use the code motherhood at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code motherhood for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. Amy, when I'm dehydrated, I get headaches. I get cranky and I don't feel good in general. Also, I am dehydrated a lot of the time. <laughs> right. <laughs> because being good with the water bottle is one thing, but getting that sodium and potassium with the fluids, turns out that is the key to saying optimally hydrated. So whether you're looking to hydrate during your workout, while traveling, or at the end of a long night, Sports Research Hydrate Electrolytes have got you covered with over 65 trace minerals, seven essential vitamins, and coconut water powder. Crisp and refreshing without any sugar, this is hydration powered by Sports Research. Each box has 16 little stick packs that you can take on the go, whether you're headed to an exercise class, a night out with friends, or a podcasting conference. And did we mention they come in delicious flavors from raspberry lemonade to cherry pomegranate. Stay hydrated with Sports Research Hydrate Electrolytes. Visit sportsresearch.com and use the code WHATFRESH at checkout for 50% off your purchase of Hydrate. That's S-P-O-R-T-S-R-E-S-E-A-R-C-H dot com, sportsresearch.com, and use code WHATFRESH for 50% off your Hydrate Electrolytes order. So before the break, we were just starting to use the word deaf culture. I had a career goal at some point to be a sign language interpreter, and I learned so much. And one of the big things that I learned is that ASL, American Sign Language, is an actual different language than English, which I think seems very obvious once you know it. But I always thought that ASL was just representing the words of the English language. It's in fact a completely different language. Starting your journey learning about deafness through COOP, I had a very small glimpse of it. And uh, there's a lot to learn. It was very, very new to me. I knew like, you know, a few basic signs, but I also didn't know it was its own language. You think it's like the equivalent of English, but you just have like a sign for every word and that's not it at all. And so I've found, you know, I minored in Spanish and I found that when I was learning sign language, it actually was more similar to Spanish structure in a way. So like there's times where I would be like thinking in Spanish while signing, you know, and like it's just you have like this language part of your brain that just ends up like kind of overwhelmed, but also like just kind of takes over. So that's been interesting. But it's also the fact that like when you have a toddler who is bilingual, essentially learning two languages, it's a lot of the parents I know don't sign the correct ASL order because they're also speaking. And that's definitely the case for us. So it's, you know, I call that approach more total communication. So like I still sign in the order of how I'm speaking because like I can't talk and be signing the words in a different order and have it make any sense. <laughs> and so for Coop, you know, needing that spoken language as well, that's just kind of how you'd work with toddlers, I guess. What are the choices that you have to go through? So a hearing parent of a deaf child, there are choices, right? You can choose to use sign language exclusively, to teach a child to lip read exclusively, 
to do some combination. Why did you make the choices you made? Why were those right for Coop and for your family? Yeah. So the the kind of three options, I guess, that we were presented with were using ASL on its own, which I didn't know any at that point. So that was scary. Using only spoken language approach by using hearing devices, which for some kids would be hearing aids. For Cooper, it meant finding out if he was a cochlear implant candidate and going through that process. And then that total communication approach where you're kind of combining those. And there's some push and pull around that in the professional world sometimes because there's the idea that teaching sign language will hinder a child's ability to learn spoken language or they'll start relying more on sign language. And luckily, like the professionals that we were dealing with never expressed that. It was very supported all around for our approach, which was, you know, eventually cochlear implants when he was nine months old and then using sign language from the moment we found out he was deaf and still today. It's such a interesting parallel. I have a child on the spectrum and it's that you do your own research, a similar experience of Googling and being like, oh, this is definitely my kid, you know, and and then kind of bringing that diagnosis forward. And then also navigating the schools of thought that some people will say, well, you have to do this kind of therapy. Then he'll read, no, that kind of therapy is abusive and terrible and absolutely the wrong thing. And navigating the different voices that are out there. This is not settled science. Any of the kind of techniques that are used for any variety of diagnosis. And is it an issue, do you think, of finding your own confidence or just feeling like you know your own child? How do you make the decisions around what's right for your kid in a world where there are hundreds of different voices saying very firmly, this is absolutely the only answer and this is absolutely horrible and will ruin your child's life. Yeah, I mean, it's a hard one too. And I should mention too that cochlear implants are a very divisive topic in the deaf community. Well, walk us through that. Why is that? Yeah, I mean, there's people... So this is something I never realized before venturing into this world is that deaf culture, there's so much pride in it. People who are deaf are so proud to be deaf and use ASL. And aren't necessarily like against hearing devices, but, and I don't want to speak as a whole. That's why I'm being careful with my words here because I don't want to like sound like I'm speaking for anybody. I'm just speaking from my hearing parent of a deaf child perspective and what I've learned is that, you know, if you're making decisions for a child is what it's viewed as when you're deciding to give them cochlear implants at a young age. My view of that is that you're always making decisions for your child. I think that's part of what being a parent is. And you look at, you know, where you are in life. For me, I live in rural Minnesota. I knew that there was no deaf or hard of hearing school anywhere near us. I also knew that our roots are pretty deep here and we weren't likely picking up to move so that Cooper, you know, was going to be raised in a hearing world. And in order to give him the most chance at success and language development, I wanted him to have access to sound and sign language. And I think because of that, I haven't dealt with quite as much criticism as I could have. I definitely still have. I'm lucky in the sense of I didn't have the following on social media that I do now when we were making these decisions. So I didn't have all that pushback and negativity at that time. It was more like as I've you know grown and we've been down this road a while that I get these comments or messages occasionally. And now I have, you know, two legs to stand on. Like, I'm very confident in the decisions that we made. I don't doubt them. I know that he prefers to speak, but also knows a ton of sign language when he wants to use it. And I think that's made a big difference, too, is dealing with that type of stuff down the line versus right away. Talk to us a little bit about the journey of sharing your story 
and what that's been like, kind of the highs and lows. I'm sure there's great positives in being out on social media and sharing your family story and probably some lows as well. Talk to us a little bit about how that developed. Yeah. You know, I never set out for it to become what it has by any means. I think at the beginning, it was just like, so I've been alcohol free almost 10 years. And when I started that journey, it really helped me to kind of, you know, write about it and share it and talk about it on social media. And I found through doing that, that while I was helping myself, I was also helping other people in the same position. And so I think this kind of started that same way. Like, it was a really good way of like working through it myself. But I knew that down the line, I would be able to be a resource that I wanted at the beginning of this journey. And so that's really how it started. I would say the growth really started when I got on TikTok and had no idea what I was doing. Honestly, I like I was showed my sister a video I posted and she's like, wait, that has like hundreds of thousands of views. And I was like, isn't that what TikTok is? I don't know. And so that's where the growth really started. And then obviously became building off of that. But it's been really neat to see such a tight knit community form. There's, you know, one of the things that really got me through the hard times at the beginning of this was connecting with other parents of children with cochlear implants. And the way that I did that was social media because, you know, there's not a huge community locally for us of that. And so to be able to reach out to people who had kids that were older and see kind of where they are now or people who had toddlers when Cooper was a newborn was really, really like reassuring for me. And I think that also helped my husband a lot. Like, I think he was just having a harder time kind of picturing what the future could look like, whereas I was just, you know, ingesting all of this and to be able to like show him like, you know, look at this kid thriving was super helpful. And so, yeah, in the time since, it's obviously grown a lot across all platforms. It still blows my mind sometimes. Overall, it's incredibly positive. I would say like 99% of my interactions on social media are positive, probably because I've blocked all the people that have really strong. <laughs> I was going to say, that's a pretty high number. I'm, I mean, yeah, that's you've got good blocking skills. Pretty much. And good word filtering. <laughs> Was it an organic journey for you to, from talking about um, being the parent of a deaf child and the cochlear implant community to talking more generally about inclusion and awareness? How did that happen or did it just happen? I mean, I think that kind of just generally was a natural transition. I wouldn't even say it was a transition because it wasn't something like intentional. I think it just as our audience, I don't even like to say that, but like as the community grew, I realized, you know, these aren't just parents of kids who are deaf and hard of hearing, like, you know, people who had kids with autism, people who had kids, you know, with other behavioral or other different types of syndromes were following too and relating to like what I was saying. And so I think that's when I realized like, oh, this, you know, yes, it's specific to what we're going through, but it's also very relatable for just parents who are going through anything that wasn't expected. And I think for me, like I lack the ability to like hide my emotions and pretend everything's like fine and all put together. And so to be able to just like be authentic about parenting on social media, I think is refreshing for a lot of people too. When you live, you know, I will say, I think it's gotten better in recent years. I think people are more realistic than they used to be, especially with like TikTok. I feel like that's a much more like kind of raw and vulnerable platform versus like the more polished what you see on Instagram sometimes. And I think like the rise of video content has really helped with that. And so that's always been important to me is to not present this like polished, perfect life because toddlers are crazy. I mean, newborns are crazy too in their own way. Like that's a phase I don't want to go through again. Take it from us. Teens are crazy too. It's all out there waiting for you. <laughs> no. 
I mean, it definitely gets better. It gets different. It gets better. It gets easier. But crazy stays. No, I love it. I love the stage he's at now. It's by far the most challenging for sure. But it's also like he's his own little person. And that's so cool to see. And like, especially with his language development, like to see him like repeating things back to me in the right context, like things that I say, I'm like realizing that I have to be really careful. Yeah. Yeah. Once they start to learn. Let's take a break and we're going to come back and talk all about the book. Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fresh to get $100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E, lumen.me, and use the code FRESH at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a No Guilt Mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model. So that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt-free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Get Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. So we're talking to Beth Leipholz. She is, you know her from online at Beth and Coop, and she is the author of the new children's book, The ABCs of Inclusion. So let's talk about that. So you have this huge parent community. And at what point did the light bulb go off? Like, oh, there are kids to sort of educate about these issues who need this content. Yeah. So I think, I mean, the idea for the whole, the book as a whole just came about by people, you know, asking, when's the kids book coming since I'd written a nonfiction book about the journey before that? And so it just kind of occurred to me one day, like, you know, I can actually do this. But then the thing I was dealing with was, okay, well, how do I make this a book that people can relate to outside of like the deaf and hard of hearing community? Because my community is so much more than that. So that's what I like, you know, struggled with and tried to work through in my head for a while was like, what book do I want to write? And I was just driving one day and it like popped into my head like, okay, well, I know all of these parents. I know all of these, you know, children that we've kind of connected with through this journey who have these different diagnoses, all of which, you know, entail different challenges. And why not write a kid's book, you know, illustrated like a kid's book, but base those characters on real children. And so that's how the whole ABCs of inclusion idea was born. Each letter of the alphabet is aligns with the name of the child. And so that's something I like to make note of because a lot of people think it's the diagnosis. 
So it's not like if D is for deaf, that's not how it is. So like C is for Cooper, and then it talks about being deaf. So that person first language was important to me. And so once that idea took off, I like it spiraled from there. It's you used a term like child first language, which I'm not sure people are totally familiar with, but it's something in disability community, the idea that you're meeting the person first and that their disability is one of the many things about them as a person. And it's something, again, that before being in this world, I wasn't really familiar with. And is that, as you told the stories of these real children, is that something that was important to you to say, like, these kids, yes, it's a story of inclusion and it's a story that focuses on kids' disabilities, but how do you keep the child at the center of that story and not the disability? Yeah. And I think my viewpoint on that was formed, like I said, from getting sober and kind of, you know, being in that world for a while and learning to say like a person with an alcohol use disorder versus like an alcoholic. So I think that's always been kind of ingrained in me, but it was important to me, obviously, to do the, the names like that is who the child is. They are not their diagnosis. But then also like throughout the book, you'll see a lot of most of the pages actually just like have a little snippet at the end that kind of relate back to like, this is what they like to do, or this is how they do it, even if it's a little bit different. And so it's something that like kids can connect with. Like Phoenix is my P and he has diabetes. And whenever we read that page, Cooper's more excited about like the fact that he's coloring a picture on the table than, you know, seeing his pump and that stuff. So it's like, that's what kids kind of pick out is like, oh, you're the same as me in this way, at least at the age that he's at now. What really spoke to me about this book is that those 26 kids, as you said, there are kids with anxiety and there are kids in wheelchairs. There are kids with epilepsy that's invisible most of the time and there are kids whose difference is quite visible. It was really eye-opening to me as somebody coming to this work maybe more newly that differences, if there's something that's universal, it's that we have differences. There's no sort of 100% typical kid. Everybody's got their something. I thought that was really refreshing. And was that also something that was very intentional to you to make part of the book? Yeah, I mean, personally, I've dealt with depression and anxiety my whole life. So, you know, I that's pretty invisible most of the time. And like, so just having that aspect to kind of pull back to, like, I wanted kids to realize, like, you can't always see what makes people different, you know, and sometimes you can. But, you know, if you see a friend having a really hard day or, you know, making a lot of noise, but not saying anything, like you can relate it back to the book and be like, you know, you remember this letter that's what they were going through and you couldn't see it. So maybe this is something similar. So that's kind of like I wanted those teaching moments to be there for kids to kind of realize as they encounter different people throughout school to be able to relate back to characters in the book. I think it can be challenging for adults and kids to feel like we're not ignoring and pretending that differences don't exist, but that we're also meeting people and not disabilities. How do you help both children and adults navigate that? And is it different for children and adults? Yeah, it's a hard line to figure out because even I remember, you know, referring to Cooper as having special needs at one point. There were so many adults on that video that jumped on, you know, jumped on me saying like that they didn't like that term and that, you know, their being deaf wasn't a disability. And then there were other deaf adults who were like, it absolutely is. And so it's like, you know, you can have two people who have the same diagnosis who view it completely differently. Like, that's just reality. So it really is a person by person basis, you know, and the way that I view it, Cooper does have special needs, additional needs. Like he has somebody who works with him at school. He has a device he wears. His teacher has a microphone she wears. Like 
those are needs that make, you know, him have the best chance at learning things the same way that his peers do and having access to that. And so I think, you know, with inclusion as a whole, there's no like one size fits all. You know, some people prefer not to have any of their differences acknowledged or called out and some people do. And so, you know, with with kids, it's obviously a little bit harder to navigate because they don't know what they don't know. I mean, like with Cooper, we're just raising him to be like, these are my ears. They're really cool. I can turn you off sometimes if I don't want to listen to you. And like, he thinks that's awesome. But, you know, that's not to say that as he's a teenager, he is going to want that same type of like attention to them. So I think it's just important to be mindful. And obviously with adults, you can read that a little bit better and ask them. How do you hope the kids whose stories and whose lived experiences are reflected in this book are going to feel when they see themselves in the pages of this book? Yeah, I want them to feel, you know, represented the way we have a couple other books at home that have kids with cochlear implants and I'll read them with Cooper and I'll like make a little like point to their, you know, their head and he'll be like, ears like me. That's what I want kids to see in that book, you know, whether it is a visible thing or not to be able to be like, you know, I'm not alone. There's other kids like this, but at the same time, be able to, you know, read other pages and be like, oh, I have a friend who is like this. And like, so my letter I is Isla. She lives here in the same area that we do. And she has Down syndrome. So Cooper loves that page because he knows her and he's can like relate to that. And so I want that for sure, you know, for kids who maybe don't have necessarily any of the things in the book themselves, but no kids who do. That's right. To see their siblings or their friends or a kid at school who maybe they don't know well yet to see those things reflected, because I do think there is some fear and anxiety around differences that kids have and helping them see differences helps them navigate the feeling of there's a kid underneath that, whatever the difference, and that it leads hopefully to some more connection between kids. Yeah. And I'm super passionate too about like, don't teach your kids that it's not okay to ask questions. I understand that there's a time and a place and like teaching that is good. But like I... And, you know, speaking from my own experience, would much rather people ask questions than just, you know, stare and that kind of stuff. So uh, often if I see kids looking at, you know, wondering what they are, I'll ask the question. I'll be like, are you wondering what those are? And then, you know, like, take the time to tell them. And same with parents. Like, I would much rather somebody say, like, do you mind if we ask you a question so I can explain to my kid, you know, what these are? And at the same time, too, parents don't know everything. Like, there's going to be situations, too, where I'm sure Cooper will ask questions and I won't know the answer. And being able to say, I don't know, but maybe when we get home, we can do a little bit of research and try to figure it out. Or if it's appropriate, maybe we can ask that type of thing. We've been talking to Beth Leipholz. Her new children's book is The ABCs of Inclusion. So Beth, tell us where we can find the book. Tell us where we can find you and Coop on the internet, all the things. All of the things are at (laughs) bethandcoop.com. My full-time job is web design. So my website is just like the whole picture there. I try to make it really easy to find exactly what you're looking for. The links to order the book is super obvious. And then you can find all my social media and any other resources. Everything else is on there too. Awesome. And Beth's book, The ABCs of Inclusion, is out now. We'll link in our show notes so that you can find where to buy a copy for yourself. Beth, thanks so much for talking to us today. Yes, this was great. Thank you guys for having me. Thanks, Beth. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings 
who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? Gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact impended. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talk to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. And we're not just talking Bob Ross type paint on paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel real uncreative. We all have something to teach each other, so let's steal their ideas together. Join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Pandemics, school calendars, world events, lack of sleep, oh, get out of their life gunk. And let's get back to your best creative self. Subscribe to Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. You're not going to want to miss an episode. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks. Margaret, it's an exciting news day. An exciting news day indeed, Amy. A few years ago, we launched our first spinoff podcast, Toddler Purgatory, hosted by the hilarious Blair Brooks and Molly Lloyd. And guess what? Now, Blair and Molly are back with their all-new podcast, Unsticking It. You know Blair and Molly as two busy moms and actors, and somewhere between potty training and the pandemic, they both felt like they lost their creative kaboom. In their new podcast, Unsticking It, they are going to talk about how all of us can get back to what lights us up after motherhood. Amy, I need this. Me too. And Blair and Molly will be talking to fellow imaginative minds. We're talking actors, artists, and creators of all kinds about how we can all unstick ourselves from whatever muck we're stuck in. Follow, subscribe, and listen to Unsticking It wherever you get your podcasts. That's Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life stucks.